Chapter Two of the Young Pretenders by Edith Henrietta Fowler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, Uncle Charlie. But Teddy and Nana did not come back again soon. Four, five long summer days went by, and Babs was still alone at Cloverdale. She was enjoying herself immensely. It was such a treat going down to tea in the servants' hall, such fun helping Giles all day to garden and listening to his thrilling conversation. Uncle Charlie was the never-failing theme. Giles waxed so eloquent on the heroic conduct of British soldiers, and Babs caught his spirit and tone in a manner which even indulgent Nana would have noticed and rebuked. At last a letter came to Cook telling her to prepare for Captain Conway, who was coming down to Cloverdale that very night. It was very tiresome that he would not arrive till long after Babs was asleep, but on the following morning, directly she knew that he had gone downstairs, she rushed into the dining-room in ecstatic anticipation of her introduction to this heroic soldier-uncle. A slight, fair young man sat at the table, pouring out a cup of tea. "'Where's my soldier-uncle?' asked Babs, aghast, with an anxious little quaver in her voice. "'I want to see him.' "'Good gracious! Is that really the girl?' thought Captain Conway, as he looked at the sturdy brown little maiden before him, and looked in vain for some likeness to that lovely, stately woman who was his brother's wife. "'I want my Uncle Charlie,' she repeated impatiently. "'You can go away, strange man.' "'But look here, child, I am your Uncle Charlie. Don't you know me?' How could she have known him when he had been in India for the whole five years of her short life? But he could not think of anything else to say. This first appearance of his niece had so greatly disconcerted him. The boy was so pretty and graceful and taking that both his uncle and aunt were delighted with him. And Captain Conway had vaguely expected that when he went to Cloverdale, a trim-looking maid would have brought to him a well-dressed, golden-haired, fairy kind of child who would have kissed him prettily and lisped out some polite orthodox greeting, instead of which the door had been flung open and transfixed at the sight of him a square, brown, plain, untidy little creature, had stood on the threshold, impatiently demanding that he should go away, and that her Uncle Charlie should come. "'I am your Uncle Charlie,' then as if to himself. Imagine this being Barbara's child. To his great surprise, the little girl stamped her foot in a sudden frenzy of passion. "'Go away, nasty, strange man,' she repeated. They told me my uncle was a soldier, and I's not a Barbara child. They calls me Babs. It is all right, I am a soldier, he said soothingly, and I have come all this way from London to see you. I thought you'd be exactly like this, she explained, drawing nearer, and the smart young officer looked with amazement on a hideous advertisement for recruits, which portrayed a red-cheeked soldier blowing a trumpet. "'And Giles always says as the British soldier is the pride of the nation, "'and I was so glad my uncle was one, and now you are quite different. "'Not a bit like a pride of the nation, and no sword nor medal nor nothing.' "'And she looked at him reproachfully. "'Never mind about that,' exclaimed her uncle. "'I'm not dressed like a soldier today. "'I've got lots of scarlet coats and swords in London, "'and you shall see them all if you will be good.' Bab's face brightened at this cheering news. "'And a trumpet and shield?' she asked eagerly. "'Yes, yes, everything,' answered the captain, with a slight disregard of the truth, and in the hope of diverting her. "'Who is Giles?' 
I love Giles, said Babs, forgetting her disappointment. He is Teddy's and my best friend next to Nana. You see, Granny was generally ill. Giles said she's got the chronic, and since Teddy and Nana went to London, I've lived in the garden and gone about with Giles more than ever, and we've had the loveliest talks about you and the crops, and when the old pig'll be ready for killing. And I weed and dig and help Giles all day. Let me go now, continued the child, pulling away from his hand. I shall just catch him while he's feeding the fowls. So that is the girl, thought the captain, a vexed look sweeping over his face. What a pity! But this running wild and being the companion of some farm laborer must be put a stop to. It is most unfortunate. She is not a bit like a gentleman's child, either to look at or to talk to. Fat brown legs, covered with scratches, filthy hands, hair that looks as if it had never been brushed or cut, frog fit for the workhouse, accent atrocious, manners and education entirely lacking. So the fastidious, dandified captain reckoned up his small niece's enormities, and resolved that things should be very differently managed now the children were under his control. For Captain Conway and Mrs. Conway had decided to take Teddy and Babs home with them to London, and keep them until their parents came back from India to settle in the old home at Cloverdale. I've explained to Giles about your being not a bit like a soldier to look at, said Babs on her return to the room a few minutes later. And he says as elders and betters must be honored in spite o' their looks, which, as they didn't make themselves, is no fault of theirn. Babs, exclaimed her uncle, you really must not talk like that. It's not at all like a little lady. The brown eyes filled with tears, and an ominous pucker round the mouth caused Captain Conway to add hurriedly, there, there, don't cry. Here's a new shilling for you. Babs brightened up in a moment and took the peace offering with delight. I've never had so much money in my life afore, she said excitedly. I never have nothing but pennies, except the three penny bits on Sunday, which Giles says take as natural to the off-tory bags as ducklings do to duck ponds. Captain Conway sighed, but Babs went on cheerfully. I'd like to see you in your scarlet coat soon, with your spear and shield. Do you often kill people now, Uncle Charlie? No, not often, laughed the young man. Only wicked people, I suppose. Not anybody at all. Babs looked woefully disappointed until a fresh thought suddenly diverted her. May I crack your egg for you? Do let me. I can do it so nice. As her uncle was afraid of vexing her again, he resignedly acquiesced. "'There's always a chance in finding a chicken in it, you see,' she continued. "'That's what makes eggs so interesting for breakfast. "'We only have them on Sundays, so we only get very few chances.' "'Have you got any real chickens out of doors?' "'Oh, yes, splendid ones. "'All the bantams are mine, and the others Teddy's.' "'I'm afraid you are very fond of the country.' said her uncle, trying to picture this wild, out-of-door child shut up in a London nursery. "'What are you afraid of in the country?' she asked. "'The cows?' "'I'm not a bit afraid of them, and I milk the dear white ones sometimes when Giles holds her tail. I can't bear it to come whisking round.' "'And have you got any dogs or cats?' "'Why, of course we have. I love Suit the cat better than anyone in the whole world, except Teddy and Nana, and Giles, 
and father and mother in India. She hasn't had any more kittens lately. It seems a longer time than generally is since she had any. Poor thing. Her kittens hardly ever lived to grow up, but Giles says that cats have a sight of trouble in that way. And what dogs? Oh, Sheepy and Toby and Dash. Dear Don died last week, or perhaps it was last year. I forget. Mrs. Forrester gave us Toby. Who is Mrs. Forrester? Don't you know? Why, Jane's aunt, the laundry maid, you know. She lives in the village, and her niece, Elizabeth Lamb, lives with her, who has got the decline. Mrs. Forrester gave a party the day after Nana and Teddy went to London, and I went and Jane and Giles. I did joy myself. Giles wore his Sunday coat, and Mrs. Forrester only cried twice. Does Mrs. Forrester often cry? asked the captain, who could not help being amused by this torrent of talk. Oh, generally. You know she has to every time she sees Mr. Forrester's funeral card, what's framed, and you can't help seeing it pretty often cause of its being over the chimney piece. It gives her a turn, she always says, but Giles thinks her reservoirs leak. Then, seeing him put his cup down, she added hurriedly, Do you want some more tea now? Let me pour it, please. You can pour the cream in. The teapot is too hot and too heavy. I saw a pillowcase in the garden this morning, continued Babs when the new tea was ready. A what? A pillowcase. You know what crawls? I don't understand you. What was it like? Her uncle could not imagine what she meant. It was brown and furry and creepy, like a velvet worm. You mean a caterpillar. Oh, yes, that's it. I knew there was a pillow in it somewhere. On wet days I see black snails, too. Mrs. Forrester wants Elizabeth Lamb to swallow black snails for her decline, but she won't never. She's right there, laughed the captain. Now you've finished your breakfast, shall we go out? asked Babs, confidingly slipping her hand into her uncle's. I can show you the garden, you know. All right. Only bring me a match first. But Captain Conway could not get over his little niece's personal appearance. He had always felt so sure that Barbara's daughter would be a beauty, and both he and his pretty empty-headed wife had been influenced in their idea of taking the children to live with them for a while by such poor thin thoughts as these. A lovely, well-dressed little girl, seated beside her aunt in the Victoria, a sweet, gentle plaything for dull afternoons, a striking little couple to introduce into children's parties. The boy was the heir, so his appearance did not matter much. Still, it was a great pleasure to find him so handsome and taking. But the girl! Silly Aunt Eleanor was quite looking forward to showing off her pretty little niece, to taking her out with her and dressing her exquisitely. And Captain Conway was thinking of all this when he looked at Babs. He was young and silly also. Accustomed to talk by the hour about a woman's points, and the fit of her frock, and how she looked, and walked, and rode, and danced. And he, too, had never imagined such a catastrophe as a plain relation. His mother had been a beauty. His wife was one, of course. His sister-in-law was really lovely, and his niece, she who was to take the place which a little daughter of his own would have filled, was quite the plainest, most common-looking child he had ever noticed. At least so he decided in his impatient disappointment. 
Her shrill, quaint talk was certainly amusing now in the Cloverdale garden, but her uncle shuddered at the thought of Giles or Elizabeth Lamb and her decline being mentioned with that accent in the Onslow Square drawing-room. A governess must be immediately procured. Can you read? he asked suddenly, a question suggested by the idea of the governess. Babs was lying flat on her face in the grass trying to see down a mole-hole. Only a bit, she answered, adding gaily. Teddy can kite well, and he makes poetry too, splendid poetry. Shall I tell you his best piece? By all means, said the captain, lighting another cigarette. Babs folded her grimy fingers and repeated the following remarkable verse. Let's learn Latin, voce safe. Learn it quickly as you can. And he dashed the sparkling water at the feet of Mary Ann. Isn't that a splendid one? The captain laughed. What do you mean by voce safe? he asked. He's Teddy's favorite man in church. Don't you know what we sing about? He comes near the end of a rather long singin', and Teddy and I always listen out for him, but he's Teddy's favorite. Mine in church is Harry Lucia, but he only comes sometimes. Do you like going to church? Oh, yes, all except the beseeches. But I made a piece of poetry, too, only it's not such a nice one. It's, There was a little girl, and she had a yellow frock, and she had a pella lock. That's a very nice one, said Uncle Charlie, only I don't quite know what a pella lock is. Babs looked rather doubtful. A lock is what's in the doors, you see, and my little Marys cover them. Your little what? My little Marys, I call them. They're rather like wooden people, and the key pushes them aside. I kiss them often. This is a most remarkable specimen, thought the captain, as Babs rushed off in pursuit of a butterfly. I never heard such a rigmarole in my life. They must be most extraordinary children. But there Captain Conway showed his ignorance of children. Teddy and Babs only thought and talked and lived as thousands of other imaginative children do, in the happy, interesting world of pretense. Uncle Charlie had made the mistake in thinking that the children would be big dolls, so of course he was astonished to find that they were really little men and women. "'Babs,' he called, sitting down on a garden seat, "'would you like me to take you to Teddy in London and to see your Aunt Eleanor?' "'The sooner she's in a civilized atmosphere, the better,' he thought to himself. But apparently Babs did not hear him. She was dancing excitedly round and round a small object on the path and screaming, my catter, my catter, with a great delight. Uncle Charlie perceived that she had again met with her friend the caterpillar. Babs, he repeated, would you like me to take you to London? Oh, yes, cried the child, diverted directly. I want to go to London awful much. Child has told me all about it. Well, we'll go tomorrow. One of the housemaids can take you. But you said you'd take me. So I will, but you'd go in another carriage, you see. How funny, laughed Babs. Will there be more'n one carriage? It'll be a nice surprise for Nana and Teddy when I come. I like you, Uncle Charlie, much better'n I did at first, she continued earnestly. Though you see, you are rather appointment to me when I expected a fat soldier with a trumpet. But Giles says use is second nature, and I guess we got used to each other. 
Was I appointment to you, Uncle Charlie? Suppose I expected a fair little girl with golden hair and blue eyes, said the captain, reverting to his late vision. Oh, Uncle Charlie, did you really? she cried. And there was a pathos in her tone that drowned the provincial accent, and caused her uncle to kiss her hurriedly, and suggest a visit to Giles to tell him of her journey to London, which happily diverted Babs for the moment. But alas, the created thought lived on in the child's soul. The next morning all was bustle and confusion, quite a new experience to Babs. The servants kept kissing her whenever they met her, instead of telling her not to bother, and after she had gone old Giles' tears fell fast on the geranium plant which he was trying to pot. Babs could not understand why everyone at Cloverdale made such a sudden fuss about her. She was only going to London, just to find Teddy and her Aunt Eleanor. She had no idea that the dear old home was to be shut up, and nearly all the servants sent away, until that far-away, unreal father and mother of hers came back from India, and nobody quite knew when that would be. "'Take care of the eggs, be sure,' she said the last thing, as the servants stood waving their hands, and the final piece of luggage was being put on to the carriage. "'And if the little birds come while I'm away, be very kind to them, and don't punish them, even if they do wrong. Goodbye, dear Giles, Goodbye.' Thank heaven that is over without a storm of tears, thought Uncle Charlie with a sigh of relief as he watched Babs pointing out to a wretched little Dutch doll all the beauties of the scenery on the road with the brightest possible face. What a mercy she doesn't mind about going. I was afraid she would have fretted awfully. It did not strike Uncle Charlie that she did not understand that she was really leaving her old home for a time, and that, as a child, she was incapable of looking beyond the near horizon of the hour. The immediate interests of first the drive to the station, and then the long railway journey, entirely filled her mind. The excitement of sandwiches in the train, and then of waking after a long sleep, still to find herself rushing along through the country, drove all thoughts of the home left behind out of her head. She could not remember much about the journey after to tell Teddy. It left a confusion of impressions which she could not disentangle. She was rather sleepy, too, when they at last left the train, and she took little notice of the drive through the streets to Onslow Square. Nana and Teddy were in the hall of the strange house, and the old nurse snatched up her darling and carried her straight off upstairs, such a long, long way up to a funny small nursery, where nice bread and milk was ready, and a cozy cot beside Nana's bed. Aunt Eleanor was out just then, and it was too high up for her to go to the nursery afterwards to see her new little niece. "'You had better know the worst at once, Nora,' said her husband as they sat down to dinner that night. "'She is an awfully plain, rough, wild little creature, not half as nicely behaved as the boy. I can't believe she's Barbara's child.' "'Oh, what a pity! I don't like any children much, and I detest rough, naughty ones. We must get a governess at once. That silly old nurse spoils them frightfully, I can see.' "'She's a clever little thing, though.' She kept me amused the whole of yesterday. Clever? Worse and worse, Charlie. I do hate a clever, plain girl more than I can tell you. Oh, I do wish she had been a doll. I've told such a lot of people about the little niece that I'm going to have, and now I shall be ashamed to show her from what you say. Yes, you will, I'm afraid. But she can live in the nursery. Good gracious, yes. I shan't bother with her. If she'd been like Barbara now, I would have taken her about with me, and it would have been fun to have dressed her. 
I liked the look of a pretty little girl in a Victoria. People would have thought she was my own who saw us driving. Do I look old enough, Charlie, to have a daughter of five? Rather not. But really I am sorry about the child, though it can't be helped. It is still more vexing for Ned and Barbara than for us. We'd better have the child photographed and send it out to them, to break it to them gently. And poor little Babs was dreaming of the big, bright home behind her, utterly unconscious of the new, narrow life which she was to live in the sunless atmosphere of her uncle and aunt's selfish life. End of chapter 2